Welcome to Ice Town Clowns, a podcast reviewing every episode of Parks and Recreation. I'm Katie. I'm Jacob. And I'm Kirk. Viva Chavez. <laughs> and today we are reviewing Season 2, Episode 5, Sister City. So the, the IMDb summary of this episode is, Leslie plays host to the Parks and Recreation Department from Pawnee's Sister City. Boracqua, Venezuela, and is shocked at the cultural differences. Tom becomes an errand boy, and April plays hard to get. Uh, this episode was written by Alan Yang, uh, who has previously written a couple of Parks and Recreation episodes and went on to co-write Master of None with Aziz Ansari, and it was directed by show creator Michael Shore. So, there's only one plot line in this episode. Which is kind of rare. This is this is literally a Leslie and uh, what's the name of the Venezuelan guy? Uh, Fred Armiston. Yeah, yeah. But Raul. Raul. Yeah, like this is a two-person play practically. Leslie and Raul. Like they carry the whole thing. Yeah. You you are deeply undermining Donna's and April's commitment to this episode. Oh, they are essential, but they don't actually have that many lines. They don't need to. Um, so uh, what starts off the episode is that um, Leslie tells us that they are getting visitors from Venezuela. They have a sister city in Venezuela and they're coming to visit. And she is concerned that all the wealth and flash of central Indiana will shame them, um, I guess, because she viewed Venezuela as some sort of impoverished third world country i'm not i'm not sure exactly what view she had in mind somebody needs to teach leslie nope what a genie coefficient is <laughs> she really should subscribe to planet money um i feel like she does in 2015 whenever planet money started i it probably just wasn't around back in 2010 for her to subscribe to um, but did you guys notice, so there's this, they show part of the mural and it says Pawnee has a tricky history with welcoming foreign visitors. And then it went by really fast and I didn't rewind it to go back and look. There's a guy in a jail cell. Was he Russian? Uh, it looks like a Russian Jew. Yeah. Okay, he appeared to be Jewish okay. to me. That's, yeah. that's what I assumed, but I just, it went by really fast and then I didn't go back and, and look. So I wasn't sure like what they were trying to mock there, but Holocaust. Cool. No, it's okay. No it's okay. But things have changed. Our guests will stay in a hotel for sure. Right. <laughs> it's okay. America's welcoming to foreigners now. Yeah. Yeah. Come one and all. Um, so then I will, I will say this. April has maybe my favorite April line. I'm sure I will take that back like 10 times, but at least top five April lines here right in the beginning of the episode, which is after Leslie asks her if she speaks Spanish and she says, my mom is Puerto Rican. That's why I'm so lively and colorful <laughs> with a <laughs> deadpan. After she perfectly analyzes Leslie in Spanish with something like the what, like, you work hard because you're miserable in your personal life, like, just... You, you bury yourself in work because you are unhappy in your personal life. Right. Okay. 
Sorry, my Spanish is only so good, as is my reading comprehension. Um, I was just say, it's written in English at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> yes, is joke. Correctly identified. Um, it, yeah, no, look. I, it, like This will come up multiple times in the episode, but I, like this is one of my very favorite April plot lines. She is just perfect here. It should come as no surprise to anyone that I love April and her plot line, but... Um, the deep negging she does in like a, a very kind of off-handed way is is just perfect and spoke to me in a way that probably speaks to a lack of mental balance on my part. But I love everything she does here. I also really liked April's pseudo storyline here because the intern was really really hot. <laughs> he was. He was hot. He's like, why couldn't he have become a recurring character? <laughs> because life isn't fair. Unless you're Jacob, and then, you know, Aubrey Plaza is in every episode, and then I, I guess it's fair. But it's good to be a straight white man. <laughs> this Hashtag is America. 2017. Able-bodied um, oppressors. So, the Venezuelan team, if you will, is led by Raul, who's played by Fred Armiston, who, fun fact, is in fact Venezuelan. And really? always, yes, and always played Hugo Chavez on SNL. Um, and Barack Obama for a while. Yeah, that was uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. I was listening to an interview with him today by sheer coincidence. Um, he was on another amazing podcast called Two Dope Queens. And he, I didn't realize he was on SNL for something like 13 years. I mean, some really crazy amount of time. Anyway, and he guest starred on the sh- on the show as this character. Um, so they they show up. They're kind of not what Leslie is expecting. They're immediately sort of horrified by Pawnee. They think Tom is a servant, which again is kind of deeply uncomfortable. Um, we'll get your we'll get our pathetic servant boy to fetch your luggage. Go, boy. Right. It's just and. I think it's the use of boy and I I don't know, but it was, I know it's supposed to make us uncomfortable, but it really, it, Look, we talked it about, was we, tough we to spent watch. A, we spent a lot of season one t- comparing this show to The Office in, in, in ways that were very justified, but this is a very Michael Scott kind of, well, it's a very Office joke, but a very non-Michael Scott joke. It's attempting to play on our uncomfortableness but without really laughing at Leslie because she is very much in on what she is doing, right? It's not Michael Scott's unintentional racism. It's Leslie just being like, it's easier to just roll with this and keep these people happy. She's still being like a diplomatic doormat here and allowing them to walk all over her, something that persists for quite a while in this episode. But I like that you brought up season one, Jacob, because I was speaking to one of our most loyal listeners earlier today. Punky and he was No, I don't talk to my dog all the time. Uh, she doesn't talk back. Uh, I was speaking to this loyal listener who said that he really, really was sick of us slagging on season one constantly and about how we've moved into season two and we just need to stop it. So I think we should talk about season one as much as possible this episode. <laughs> We're just but trolling I, our I listeners, guys. I know who this is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
he's probably the listener I speak to most often. Um, regardless, regarding The Office comparison, I actually watched a first season episode of The Office recently, and what I forgot was that Michael Scott did like a 90-degree turn as a character in that show, too. Oh, yeah. In the first season of The Office, you know, which is really centered around Jim, because Jim's the likable character, Michael Scott is just a dick. And, you know incompetent but deeply unpleasantly so much like the character from the british version of that show and so yeah so i i feel like the reason they started incorrectly with leslie in season one of parks and rec is they had made a turn with michael scott and saw that that sort of characterization worked and hoped that it would work well for the lead character in this show so they would be able to avoid having to reformulate which of course proved to be a disaster Right. No, that's definitely true. We've been doing an office rewatch and we're in like season five right now. And it it is a the character of Michael evolves a lot from someone who is completely unlikable to someone who you are crying when they leave the show. I mean, yeah, he definitely um, changes. So back to parks Um, (laughs) side podcast where we review the office. That'll be what we do next, guys. Donna. Donna. Right. Exactly. I've been to South America. I did very well there. (laughs) Which, like, Like, of course she did. Donna is a one-woman anti-slut-shaming pride parade, and I love her for everything she does. We've had this. We've had her deep acknowledgement of cave sex. Like, we will get more. I I am so glad we have met the real Donna. She is... Just so good for everything on so many levels. Donna and Jerry. Jerry only has a couple moments in this episode, but you can see that as soon as they hit the right formulas for those characters, you know, in the last couple of episodes, they just honed in on them and nailed them down because they're just perfect at this point. Right. And they don't change a lot. I mean, it's really kind of incredible how much as soon as they hit it, they just they were there. And I mean, Jerry, Gary, Larry, whatever, he changes a bit, but. Right. But, but not a ton. So then they have this sort of bank, not banquet, but event where they exchange gifts. In their dirty alley. Right. And. uh, That are not prostitutes. Raul gives uh, Pawnee this gold plated replica of Hugo Chavez's, the, the gun that he used in the socialist revolution, which. I'm sure he used multiple guns, for one thing. But the only really fun thing about this is that we get, I think, what becomes Ron Swanson's sort of opening title yeah. like, scene for the rest of the show. Um, we also get a great line. This gun truly symbolizes the blossoming peace between our two nations. <laughs> I miss that. That's fun fact for people who live in Washington, D.C., uh, are cherry blossom trees were originally a gift from the Empire of Japan in the early part of the 20th century to mark, like, the 50th anniversary of opened relationships between the United States and Japan. They were a gift meant to symbolize the perpetual friendship between the Japanese Empire and the United States of America. Whoops. Yeah. That hit some bumps on the road. (laughs) Right, right. As all friendships do, you know. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) I'm going to let that pitch go. (laughs) So I've actually been on diplomatic trips uh, as a chief of staff in Congress, and we do take gifts uh, to give out to the foreign. You know, we we don't often meet with parks department directors, but uh, people like 
you know, chairs of committees of state of national legislatures, things like that. And the gift that we take most often is a space pin. You know, it's like it's a symbol of American ingenuity because there's the great story about how America spent millions of dollars before it sent, you know, its astronauts into space to develop a pin that could write in zero gravity and write upside down and write underwater using specialized pressure and ink and all of this. And the Russians just used a pencil. (laughs) Two two problems, two problems. First, uh, Russians did use pencils. That's actually very dangerous. Graphite breaks off of pencils and you're writing with them and that can short circuit the electronics in a spaceship. Uh, Two, the story's not true at all. But it's a great story, so we have to keep telling it. I liked it. It was a great story this time around. I agree. You should keep telling it. We also give... Uh, Leo McGarry told it once. <laughs> we also give space pins to interns in my office when they leave. And uh, one staffer had the idea of giving the space pins to the interns. And so we make her tell the story of the space pin every single time an intern leaves. And we go through about 30 of them a year. <laughs> so... She really hates that she brought this tradition to our office. So these foreign dignitaries, same level of importance as the unpaid interns that come and go from your office. They're not Venezuelan interns. We actually take slightly nicer space pins to the dignitaries. (laughs) Ouch. They they come in the nice blue felt boxes as opposed to the little cardboard black boxes. Hope some former interns aren't listening to this. I hope they are, and if they are, they should go on the iTunes store and give us a five-star <laughs> review. Nice. Yeah. Just in case people hadn't made it to the end of the podcast in previous episodes. Throw uh, no, just in the case middle. they need a, a letter of recommendation from me for a job. <laughs> um. So Leslie then gives um, Sweetums! Right. Sweetums! <laughs> Is this the first mention of Sweetums? I feel like it is i really think it is yeah she gives if you a, can't beat them sweetums <laughs> she gives oh a God. bottle of high fructose corn syrup um which really, america right <laughs> thank you for the bottle of sap <laughs> and the garbage <laughs> yeah eight and a half dozen rubber baby bottle nipples right tastes right. like the real thing it's where we fatten up the children they're like bowling balls I love that after 10 episodes of the characters strangely referring to themselves as politicians when they're actually bureaucrats, now Leslie is referring to herself as a diplomat. It's like, (laughs) keep grasping for that brass ring. (sighs) Uh, And she does have one of my favorite references to Hillary Clinton in this episode when she's talking about the way the Venezuelans are beating up on her and how she has to take it because that's why people love Hillary Clinton so much. Nobody takes a punch like her. She's the strongest, smartest punching bag in the world. And we spent an entire fucking year last year proving that she truly is the strongest, smartest punching bag in the entire world. Yeah. It's a popular vote. I, I wrote that line down word for word because it happened and I immediately hit pause and I was like, did that just happen? And like rewound it and listened to the whole thing. It was like, oh man, apparently Parks and Rec saw this coming. They see so much coming. Yeah. Um, I also, so I looked this up a little bit because maybe I'm just dumb and I didn't know. I, if the United States and Venezuela even had diplomatic relations in 2010, and it turns out they did. Um, I 
Barack Obama reestablished them in 2009. And then I think we still technically have diplomatic relationship with them, but it's very rocky. You could say that about our relationship with Germany, too. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) So whatever the flaws of Venezuela's system of government uh, and the oppression and the murders, I do appreciate that promptly upon arriving in Pawnee, Indiana, one of them just tears Mark Brendanowitz down right to his face. <laughs> this city was planned. On the drive-in, I saw a tattoo parlor by a school by a Taco Bell. It seems like it was planned by a very stupid rodent. Yeah, I also wrote that line down word for word um, because it was great. Although, I don't... Is really... Is Mark Brendanowitz to blame for Pawnee's zoning laws? No, know. but and we've already had a, a a discussion about this. These are a real issue in Pawnee. This is this is what she talked about on her date back in episode six, right? It's like Houston, like Houston. Um, another thing, just while I was learning about U.S. <laughs> Venezuela and diplomatic relations, um, Venezuela and North Korea do not have diplomatic relations they did not in 2010 and now i think it's that like north korea has been allowed to reopen their embassy in venezuela but it's still very um unclear what the status is but they say uh raul says that they had also visited their sister city in north korea and it was much nicer and i would just like to say plot hole I do not think that Venezuela would have a sister city in North Korea. Katie deep dive. (laughs) (laughs) I just was curious because I don't know. Venezuela has a lot of oil. Oil is food for cars. (laughs) Okay. I loved the Raul mansplaining to Leslie. No, it like, especially coming so shortly after the Hillary Clinton joke and so many of the uh, sort of, Hillary Clinton references we have here the the deep mansplaining to Leslie it came across very funny to me yes well it's because you know she's going to get her revenge by the end of the episode um just 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 the disdain that flows out of Raul throughout the entire episode it's just just fantastic American children are fattened more efficiently than any children in the world (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they they obviously used this to sort of <laughs> say all of the mean things that our characters would probably never say about, yeah. you know, America so, and the heartland of America in particular. But. So I'm wondering about Harvey James Park, which Leslie takes the Venezuelans to to show off how great parks can be in Pawnee. That looks like a a park that is much nicer than most of the ones we see in Pawnee throughout this episode. Do we think she took them to Eagleton and didn't tell them? Oh, that's true. And we never see a park like that. I mean, we have not seen one so far, and I I don't know if we see one like that in the future. So... no, Yeah, close. the closest I think we ever see to a park like that again is the park in Eagleton where they built the wall to keep the Pawneeans out. Hashtag spoilers. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's reasonable to conclude that this park is in Eagleton because we have not seen anything that looks like that. And I also, 
I noted that we're in episode five of season two, and this might be the first time we've come back around to mentioning Leslie's goal of making a park out of the pit and the the plot line that took over the entire first season. I hadn't really realized we dropped it until she mentioned it again here. Yeah, this becomes one of those shows that starts out with an initial question or problem it needs to solve, and then sort of forgets it as it goes along, only to bring it back up every now and then. The The park in Parks and Recreation is kind of like Mulder's sister in the X-Files. You just you sort of forget that that's a thing we're supposed to care about. I was really going to go for a Twin Peaks reference, but yeah. I haven't watched the new season of Twin Peaks, so I don't know. Same, you know. same. I was going to go super geeky and say it was like, the admission of Bajor into the Federation on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Wow, Kirk with a Star Trek reference. That's a shock. <laughs> I'm going to ignore both of you in the last 45 seconds. That's probably best for everyone. Um, so then Leslie tries to explain a budget shortage to them, which they cannot envision at all. <laughs> they have oil and therefore never have budget. Sure, Their attitude is. does explain a lot about the Venezuelan currency, though. Right, right. Um, I also like that what Leslie tries to to tell them about their hotel is that they can watch TBS. <laughs> Do you have TBS in Venezuela? <laughs> what is it? I have 100,000 channels. <laughs> right. I am still Which... primarily interested in the large black woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, because I grew up in Atlanta, I did not realize that TBS was something that people sometimes couldn't get with their cable packages. It was like essentially all I was allowed to watch for most of my childhood was whatever Turner Broadcasting decided to play. Wait, is that where you started seeing Dawson's repeats? I... Yes, because I wasn't allowed to watch it when it was on until I was a senior in high school. And once TBS started replaying them was the first time I was actually allowed to watch it. So I watched four episodes a day leading up to the season finale that I watched live. But that's neither here nor there. Not not a part of this podcast. Anyway, TBS, very important to teenage Katie. Um, I understood why Leslie was excited about it. As important to Katie as it proved to be to desperate middle-aged fire from NBC, Conan O'Brien. Yes, yes. Someday Conan and I will share share our love for TBS. Do you think he'd want to be a guest on our podcast? Oh, man. I bet he would. Actually, he might. Somebody just send us an email address. We will make it. We'd have to allow a lot of ripping of the network that produced this show, but I think we're all okay with that. Yeah, this is the network that canceled Conan O'Brien's Tonight Show and Star Trek. Burn it down. I don't care. Yeah, I think (laughs) we're fine. Um. So I I do enjoy that Tom just without reservation agrees to do whatever these guys say for all of the money that is being thrown his way. I feel like that's very in character for Tom, that he would immediately subjugate himself for a few dollars. Yeah, makes it rain and then immediately runs to pick up the dollar bills again because he can't lose any of that money. 
And and then somehow we decide to take the Venezuelans to a town hall to teach them how great democracy can be. Town halls are literally the worst argument in favor of democracy when they're not having like an elected official you can yell at about healthcare or something. They are just like an open public forum is oh god. Well, let's let's recognize how well this town hall went. By Pawnee standards, though, because it looks like it started in the middle of the afternoon, but she didn't have to filibuster for seven hours to get to the magic point at which people can't just randomly call a vote on some major government policy and, like, dissolve the city of Pawnee because they have no reasonable fucking rules about their town halls, as we have learned in season one. I was going to say, there's no vote, so this is obviously a successful town hall. My dog went to one of your parks and ate another dog's feces, and I'm going to sue you for that. Was that the same woman who... No, it was a man who found a sandwich in the park and it didn't have any mayo on it. Yeah. Yes. But the, it was the guy, the, the, hey, park lady, you suck guy was back at this one. He's the one who criticized her at the end. Uh, right. Not the one throwing the Frisbees, though. That was, that, no. that was good. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I do just, I, I mean, one of my favorite things about this show is that this is a shockingly accurate portrayal of a local government town hall. And I'm glad that they put it in here because, you know, my boss had a town hall like three weeks ago and it went perfectly and the questions were respectful and his remarks were well received and, you know, it was great. I don't know what you're talking about. Has something happened at town halls recently? He managed to not vote to take away health care away from 23 million Americans. This is true. This is true. That was that was such a hard vote said no one in my office. So I do really appreciate Raul's line about where are the armed men? And it just made me feel like that Josh Lyman line from the West Wing about there's a lot to be said for fascism. Yeah. We have a special jail for journalists. Right. right. You shout like that. They put you in jail right away. No trial. (laughs) I do, however, agree that undercooked fish should be a jailable offense. But overcooked chicken? No, that's that happens. Undercooked fish, though. But here's the thing. If if we made it a rule about not showing up to the dentist, my husband would have been executed already, for sure, um, for the number of dentist appointments that he schedules and then just doesn't go to, and I somehow get the phone calls about. So I kind of sympathized with that one. I was like, yeah, I'm... I feel the that. great thing about canceling a dentist appointment at the last minute is they can't actually charge you to cancel the appointment if you don't show up. So, is that how and, creditors work, Kirk? I don't know. <laughs> if I'm so excited, my credit rating is back in the triple digits. So, okay, great. Whoa, <laughs> that's that's not how that's supposed to work buddy hey look all i know is that i was able to get a 31 percent interest rate on my mortgage loan so i must be doing pretty well that's like the highest they've ever given that's a good score oh um obviously this whole part is fred armiston just doing improv at the camera for the things that he can think of that fascism would throw people in jail for um which it was my favorite part of the episode, so I thought it was funny. So what what is it with the Venezuelans and pens? 
They try to steal every single <laughs> pin that they come across throughout this episode, including at the town hall, right? They like start grabbing pins out of the out of the little cup, which why there was a giant cup full of pins at a town hall. I don't that doesn't make any sense either, but Maybe they're jealous. They they really wanted those space pens. And when they couldn't get any, they just grabbed for whatever was around. Or they assume all pens in America are space pens because we've been to the moon and they haven't. And that's right. Yeah, that's when Leslie kind of, she starts to finally be fed up with how rude and, and terrible all the Venezuelan visitors have been. And that's her first sort of dig back at them is tell it to the moon. Oh, wait, you can't. You've never been there. (laughs) I love when she's confessing to Ron that she blew up at the Venezuelans that he equal parts doesn't care and just doesn't want a problem and is (laughs) giving her no advice whatsoever that is actually truly actionable. Do you see the problem? Yes, but I don't want to. Like, <laughs> that is a conversation I have had on both sides of that argument. Um, yeah, and then she has another really great Hillary Clinton line, which is, yesterday I was tough and direct, and today I have to be charming. Basically, yesterday I was Hillary, and today I have to be Bill. <laughs> Very astute. So she should have gone to the airport and met them on their plane. it hurts because it's awful right (laughs) you know got to acknowledge so i i I like that leslie in this episode disproves the entire notion of creating pro and con lists in order to make major decisions by just showing you can just constantly restate things on the pro list as being cons and vice versa because pro and con never works. It never works. I, I, I like disagree. this is a personal argument you're having with somebody, Kurt. <laughs> I, no. I like pro-con lists um, and have made them in the past. I also feel like in the future, Leslie continues to make pro-con lists. I don't think this is the end of pro-con lists for her. Just because you're growing doesn't mean you're learning. Um... So Leslie, she eventually decides that this photo op with the mayor, I guess, is more important um, and calls the Venezuelans to apologize or at least gets them to this conference room. And then Tom offers them food and Leslie has a lot of uh, suggestions for the food, all of which made me want everything that she named. And, and you Tom. know why she doesn't get it? Because of the patriarchy! <laughs> Wait, were you ready for that, Jacob? Were you ready to say <laughs> patriarchy in that moment? Because I couldn't tell. It's true, though. It's true. It's kind of <laughs> fucked up. Like, why couldn't she have those things? Um, I forgot what I was saying because I was so distracted by Jacob and the patriarchy, so... Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. There needs to be a comma in that sentence somewhere. By Jacob and his correct calling out of the evils of the patriarchy in that particular situation. Hashtag not all men. Jacob, did you just mansplain to Katie how to reference the patriarchy? (laughs) Yep. Oh, man. You should also listen to Jacob's uh, (laughs) podcast that he puts out on Wednesdays, White Male Privilege Weekly. (laughs) Oh, God. 
Oh my god, somebody probably has that podcast. Well, body depressors. Um, so then Fred Armiston, aka Raul, gives Leslie a check for $35,000, which she could use to build this park. Um, which I, maybe you guys, maybe you guys know. Could a city like Pawnee accept payment from a foreign government to build a a park? I honestly don't know. I mean, international aid for infrastructure? So that really depends on, on like state laws and things of that nature. There are rules about how you can accept money for government projects and who can and cannot donate to them but absent any you know understanding of illinois law indiana law sorry i accidentally upgraded the state um i really can't say uh (laughs) and there went any listener actually from indiana i was just in the great state of indiana this week it's great yeah absolutely indiana's fine it's like how you get to illinois i'm sorry kirk you were saying about funding I was just sort of talking out of my ass and making a bunch of assumptions. So who knows? My guess is that if in this universe they couldn't take the money, Ron might have mentioned that. Um, I wish that this check had been offered to Pawnee later, like a few years later, because Leslie could have taken a photo of it with her phone and deposited it digitally and then torn it up and thrown it in their faces with no consequences. That's true. Although. Presumably, they, they could have stopped the money on their end. Um, yeah, it's such a small amount of money. Do you think they'd even notice? Yeah, probably not. So they have her, They when they give Leslie the check, they videotape her and kind of force her to say Viva Chavez, which she does against her will. And then they're, you know, continue to speak in Spanish, which April eventually figures out that they're actually part of the Committee to Humiliate and Shame America, Hugo Chavez's Passion Project, um, <laughs> which Leslie then, you know, tears up the check and stands up for America and Pawnee and herself. In After order. getting a really supportive nod from Ron Swanson, like, it's a great moment. Up. It is. He's wearing a suit for like the meeting with the mayor, which is totally out of character by this point and really stood out like a sore thumb to me. But it's also just funny that the the mayor is sort of this figure that we don't really see, but that even Ron appears to, I don't know, be afraid of, which just really goes away in the future. I mean, I don't know. It's slightly less weird than earlier on when he was very, very concerned with what the city manager thought of him. Right, right. That's true. The mayor is, I suppose, technically his boss that could, you know, Uh, fire him at any moment. But I don't know. Some some cities have a really strong city manager form of government, having run a mayoral campaign in one of those cities where the city manager is, in fact, in many ways, uh, the more powerful force within city government while the mayor forms more of a head of state relationship. I'm not sure that this is that kind of city, though, because as we see in later episodes, the mayor is not a sitting member of the city council. And in most weak mayor systems, the mayor serves as the chair and tie-breaking vote on a city council, 
whereas he seems to be a wholly separate department of government in the structure of Parney's government. Good analysis. Or the people that wrote this didn't actually know a lot about how local governments were run. Stop woman explaining things to us, Katie. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let that one sail right by. <laughs> you and your facts, Katie. Yeah, on that front, I don't think we come close to passing the Bechdel test here. No, when you really only have one female who speaks at any length in an episode. Uh, yeah, you really, it's hard to pass. I mean, she talks to April a little bit, but they're literally talking about what Raul is saying. So I don't think it passes at all. Like, it's not yeah. even an yeah. attempt. Yeah, no, it's, and they're like surrounded by people who are part of the conversation. It, it, yeah, I don't think that we even have a conversation only between two women. Yeah, because we barely have any Ann Perkins or Mark Mardanowitz in this episode. Right. And, and, and to be perfectly honest, though, this show barely passes the reverse Bechdel test as well, because Raul talks to almost nobody but Leslie. It's really just two characters in almost every scene in this show. Yeah. yeah and then April talking to the intern, because that is a perfect plot line. Uh, there is a very sweet moment at the end that I just barely caught, which is that Tom gives all the money that from that from them to the fund for the new park. He, like, slips it into the jar, the jar, which I thought was very sweet. Yeah, they're starting down that path with Tom. Like, they, they figured out Jerry, they figured out Donna, and now they're sort of moving Tom to where he's going to be, uh, you know, by the end of the yeah. show. And Donna to where she's going to be, metaphorically, not literally. It would be sad if Donna just went to Venezuela and never came back. For us. I mean, unless there was like a spinoff show that was just Donna and Venezuela, which I want that I would watch all the time. But she does very well there. Given the way the show ends, I would love to see a show with what happens with Donna and Jerry after the series ends, because. Hey, don't talk about the part where it's revealed Jerry's a cyborg. (laughs) Hashtag fake spoilers. Um, yeah, so the very end of the episode is that April sends a video, or, yeah, I guess she's sending a video, because we don't have FaceTiming technology in 2010. No, FaceTime wasn't, well, uh, FaceTime came with the iPhone 4, which was released in June of 2010, which would have been after this episode aired. Although I guess they could have Skyped. Skype existed. Yeah, absolutely. Though it looked like they were watching a video, not right. interacting with her. So, right. yeah, I think this, this is the video that she posted on her YouTube channel right next to the video of her driving the tractor through the Nordstrom's a couple of weeks ago and uh, that right. nobody had exactly. seen. Um, so. Yeah. So they, she and Donna go to Venezuela and it's how drawn I am to April does not say anything good about me as a person here. We got we got a lot of seasons to go to unpack that one, so I'm not I'm not going to touch it right now. <laughs> but um... so this is a really interesting episode. In you know, it's has so little of the supporting cast in it. They all just sort of pop in to have their little moments in the main plot. Uh, but had this come before the episode we watched last week, it probably would have been the best episode up to that point. But now it it it, it sort of pales in comparison, I think, to the, to the one we watched last week, to practice date. I looked at some reviews of this. The AV Club writer 
gave it the lowest grade of any episode of the season and said that after this sort of upward climb that the show was doing, that this was a huge backtrack and a low point for the series. So people had kind of strong opinions on it when it came out. Yeah, this show, I like, I, I liked it a, quite a, I liked it a decent amount this time, but I remember not liking this episode on most of my previous rewatches of this, sh- of this show. I, I think it compares really well in terms of how Leslie faces off to the, to the, to the challenge she has in this episode, in that at no point does she turn to Mark or any other man to get her out of the problem. She solves it herself, and she shows a lot of strength and determination on her own, like, this show treats Leslie so much better than, you know, previous episodes did that I, I think that watching it like this, it does compare a lot better than it might in person, you know, in, in just individually. But I don't know. I, I liked it a lot. Uh, and I, I think it definitely continues to show the progress of the yeah, show. I'm, it's really not one of my favorites. It's never been one of my favorites. And I found things in it to appreciate this time around. Um, but I, I still don't love it. I would skip it if I were just sort of watching it for my own enjoyment. It, I, I don't know why. I just don't love it. You know who did skip it is Andy. Skip this one again. That's two episodes in a row without him. Well, cause he's really still is just a, doing something. No, else? he was just a guest star. He hadn't really become a series regular yet. I thought he was in the opening credits. I, I'd have to watch. I don't know if he is. Didn't we all watch the episode? Yeah, but I didn't pay much attention to the credits. I was joking. Your jokes are so funny. <laughs> yeah, anytime you say I was joking, that's how you know it was a good joke. Had Leslie chosen to take the Venezuelans to the pit that she wanted to turn into a park, we would have gotten to see Andy because he's probably still living in it. All right. So if you'd like to contact us... You can email us at icetownclowns at gmail.com. You can send us a tweet or follow us on Twitter at at icetownclownpod. You can like our Facebook page or give us a review on Facebook, facebook.com slash icetownclowns. That's also a great place to post anything fun um, that you have found or thoughts that you have. Um, fun videos, etc. Or you can visit our website, www.icetownclowns.com. So sometimes people ask, how exactly do you rate a podcast in iTunes? Because they're looking at it on their phone and they don't see any option to do that. I'm afraid that if you want to give us a five-star review, which would really help us go up in the rankings, you know, make it clear that we are the Parks and Rec podcast that people across the world need to be listening to, you actually have to Open up iTunes on your Mac or PC and go into the podcast store like that. So if you're willing to do that, that's a real sacrifice and know that we would appreciate it. Next week, we'll be watching the episode Kaboom, the sixth episode of the second season. Please take a chance and uh, watch that before you uh, come back here next Thursday. You've been listening to Ice Town Clowns, a podcast about parks and recreation. We're at the end of that that podcast, and that end is now. Viva Chavez!